Couch Wisdom. Couch Wisdom. Hey, this is Todd Burns from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, our regular podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. Beginning in the mid-2000s, hip-hop producer Boy Wanda helped shape and define the sound of a new Toronto, thanks to an early partnership with another local up-and-comer, Drake. Playing yin to Noah Forty Shabib's Yang, Boy Wanda made his mark with hit songs like Best I Ever Had, Forever, and productions for Eminem, Nicki Minaj, Lil Wayne, Meek Mill, and many more. In the second half of this decade, the Toronto-raised native of Jamaica further expanded his reach with global hits like Work for Rihanna and Controla for Drake, as well as collaborations with Kendrick Lamar, Party Next Door, and Lana Del Rey. In this lecture, hosted by Anuba Mystery at the Red Bull Music Academy Base Camp Montreal 2017, Boy Wanda retraced his steps from buying Fruity Loops with his mom's credit card to mining his Jamaican roots to reimagine dance hall for the streaming generation and imparted advice on business, sampling, and collaborations. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of Couch Wisdom. So please help me welcome uh, Boy Wanda to the Red Bull Music Academy. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate you. Um, so you're, you're from, well, you're not from Ajax, Ontario. You moved now to Whitby. I hope I'm not blowing up your spot. Yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> just moved right down the road. Uh, spent half of my life in Scarborough, the other half in Durham, in Ajax. Uh, I went to school in Pickering, Pickering High. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good time. You this know, is a, a safe place. space to reference all those cities because we're all Canadian here. Oh, yeah. So you don't have to be like Toronto. And yeah, definitely. Definitely <laughs> the, the, a little bit, maybe like 40 minutes away from the city for anybody who doesn't know. But uh, Durham region is like consists of four little small cities. Um, and that's where I grew up most of my life. So it's like maybe like 40 minutes outside of Toronto. But you were born in Jamaica uh, and you came to Canada yep. when you were basically a toddler. Yep. Um, and, you know, you listened to, to Jamaican music in the house growing up. Uh, how, did, how did that music kind of shape the way, shape your interest in music, but also the way you hear music? Well, growing up, it was only in my household, it was only dance hall. Um, my dad used to just be pumping out dance hall mixtapes and just we'd only hear that in reggae music, culture reggae. When I started going to a public school, my sister, well, my older sister, she started getting into R&B which just bled to me. I started hearing R&B and like hip hop music, but dancehall was really the first music I was ever introduced to. What were some of those artists that you were listening to? Um, or that your dad was listening to? Well, yeah, my, my dad, he played a lot of Beanie Man, Sean Paul, um, Budja Bantan, um, Spraga Benz, uh, just so much artists. Um, Bob Marley, Capleton, Man, there's like all sorts of, all, all kinds. So like really kind of like a, like a raw sound, you know, not, not, yeah. not just like all roots in the house. No, it wasn't all roots. It was a, a lot of it was um, the, uh, like aggressive <laughs> dance hall, you know, pre some pretty vulgar stuff, but you know. Uh. <laughs> Do you remember like forming opinions of the, that music when you were young, like what you liked and what you didn't like about it? I just remembered I just liked it. Like, I don't know what it was about the music. But, but I, it was just something, the only thing I knew at the time, and, you know, the cadences, 
to it were, were cool and just the rhythm, just the songs were very memorable to me and they, they made you want to dance. They're very colorful, upbeat and yeah, they, they're just songs that made you want to dance and pretty cool songs. And when you started making music when you were a teenager, were you thinking back then about folding those ideas into your music? Uh, yeah, back then I would think about incorporating um, reggae elements and dancehall elements into to my beats, but at the time it wasn't re- really like the cool thing to do. So I was kind of just learning, hearing some of my favorite artists and favorite producers, just learning from from listening to their music, kind of following the trends at the time, but that kind of taught me how to make music itself. So yeah, at that time I was just going through like a learning phase, but when I started getting more into um, production and learning more about it, I started, you know, trying to incorporate things from my past. And so that that time when you were kind of cop- copying, is that is it safe to say copying? Yeah, it, it's safe to say. I, I used to actually sit there and recreate um, like my favorite songs, like a song that Pharrell would produce. I would literally try and recreate the entire track, and I'd actually by doing that, I'd actually learn a little bit because this is a time before YouTube. There's no YouTube. There's no nothing I could went to to learn. Well, I'm pretty sure there was, but I, I didn't know what it was. So I, <laughs> I basically taught myself. So what were you using to recreate these beats? I was using Fruity Loops. I think it was like version three. So that was a long time ago. That was when I was 15. I'm 30 now. So, um, but yeah, I was recreating all my favorite beats and learning how to le- like. Once I was doing that, I was literally learning like what they did and, and how to um, structure my, my songs. And it was, just, it was just a learning experience doing that. I think you bring up an interesting point. I wanted to touch on this as well. I think most people here are a little bit younger than you and so kind of came into the technology maybe in a, a way that feels a little bit more native, had access to the YouTube tutorials. You kind of had to figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, do you remember yeah. like the first time you used Fruity Loops? Um, and and learning to understand the software? Yeah, I remember the first time using it. It was really late. I ended up downloading it, um, taking my mom's credit card and <laughs> just <laughs> downloading it off the website. And How much did it cost? It was like a little bit. I bought the basic version, so it was a little bit over $100. I got in trouble for that, but it was worth it. Um, <laughs> but I just remember turning every single knob. I didn't know what anything did, and I would just be listening, I would turn every knob and just figure out what it did and kind of memorize what everything was and what every button was. And I was just doing a lot of playing around more than at the beginning try to, trying to make music, but I was just trying to learn the, the tools of, of the program and what, what it does at first. And then I started more getting into uh, trying to create music. Right. Um, what did those first beats sound like? Trash. <laughs> so bad. So bad. I was listening to some of them the other day, and I was just like, oh, my God. Came a long way. But, yeah, they're, they're pretty bad. Because I didn't know how to structure things. It just sounded all over the place. I don't have any musical training or anything. You know, I, I still don't. I couldn't tell you what, a, what any notes are or nothing like that. But, like, I just literally just kept experimenting and playing around with stuff. But, but they were pretty bad. You, you could tell. Did you play those for people? Uh, yeah, I played them for some of my friends. And, and I have really honest friends. And they were just, yeah, this, this is not good. <laughs> well, you need work. So So how did you transition from that uh, into Battle of the Beatmakers, which is this competition that happens in Toronto? 
Well, you know, thank God for my honest friends. Like, I would always play my music for my close friends, and they were really honest. Like, this is bad, bro. Like, you need to get better, try something else. So, you know, I, I just, st- just kind of, like, stuck with the program and learned it a little bit more, learned some new things, and um, I got a little bit better. And a friend of mine had came to the school and told me that there's a competition called Battle of the Beatmakers, and I should join it. At the time, I was 17, and I was pretty nervous. I've never done anything like that. I've never done anything competitive other than, like, a few sports at school and whatnot. I was a pretty quiet kid. So, you know, I, I was like, you know, why not? Let's join this and see what happens. So I ended up going, and um, I was really intimidated by everybody that was there because it was all grown men. I was 17 at the time, and everybody was talking about, like, all these machines that they use and you know, hardware and VSTs, and, and it was, I was just using Fruity Loops. So guys were talking about, like, ASR 10s and MPCs, and I didn't even know what any of that was. I was just like, all right, I'm just going to play my beats, and hopefully, you know, it does something. And I ended up winning, like, three years in a row. So that was that was pretty—I didn't expect it, but when I heard, like, people playing their beats, and I was like, oh, like, these guys are not really that good, so— <laughs> <laughs> So, what, I, what, go ahead. No, I was just saying I ended up playing um, my stuff and basically winning for the next three years in a row. So I was pretty pretty happy about that. What do you think it was that you were doing that made you successful in that space at such a young age? I mean, like you said, you're up against grown men, probably people with more formal training or studio experience. But what what do you think you were doing that stood out? I think um, well, what I was doing to get there was I was really focused. Like I, I was literally inside all summer working on music like my friends were outside doing stuff going to parties and I was like they're telling me to come out and I was really just interested in in getting better at making music because that's what I wanted to do like I had a real passion for it so that's what really got me there but I felt like what was what stood out more in my music than everybody else's at the the competition was mine it, you could just like it was really like loud and like like the mixes were great. I had really good mixes on my tracks, and they were just really like they had good bounces. They're just be- they're just better. That's <laughs> all I can say. That. They were good at the time, you know. Okay, I think it's time to hear some music. Maybe go back to around that oh. time. Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> you've talked about this before. It's well documented, so no surprises. I'm gonna play. This is what you say. What you call the first beat you ever sold. Hey there. At this point in the lecture, they played some music. Unfortunately, due to copyright reasons, we can't play that here. Yeah, I'm bummed too. Anyway, uh, enough from me. Let's go back to couch wisdom. <laughs> Thank you. That's uh, Do What You Do. Yes. Off Room for Improvement, his first mixtape. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like dynamically, those are pretty similar and you know, both of those tracks and, mm. and going back, what I'm trying to say is listening back to them now, they sound very of their time. Yeah, they Like definitely. peak mixtape era yep. <laughs> um, rap. Can you talk about making those beats? Um, yeah, the, the G-Unit song was the first song I've ever, like, I would, like, back in the days, I would always make beats for 50 Cent. 50 Cent was, like, one of my favorite artists at the time. Like, you know, he's, like, the biggest hip-hop artist at, at, at that time, so... A lot of my beats were very 50 Cent-esque, and it just so happened, um, I had a friend that was on that. He was filming a movie, Get Rich or Die Trying, in Toronto, and I had a friend that was on set that was with him like every single day. So he's like, yeah, give me one of your beat CDs. I'm going to hand it over to 50. 
and and see what happens. So um, he ended up handing it over to him, and he ended up using it and reaching out. And that was the first time I ever got paid for like any music. He actually used that song in his video. He had a video game called Blood in the Sand or something like that. How much did you get paid for that? Uh, they gave me $5,000, which was like, at the time, I, was, I think I was 17. So I was like, oh, that's pretty pretty huge for What did me. you do with that money? I think I, I bought a really bad car with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really, well, it got me from A to B, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, um, I don't know. To me, this sounds very different from the boy wonder we've come to know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's still your sound, and it's still something that people identify with you. Yeah. Um, what I think is interesting is that hip hop over time has grown to really embrace like more of a composition uh, based approach. People are you can hear it now in young people. They're really thinking about like songwriting and thinking yes. about the song as a whole. Were you were you thinking about that at the time? At the time, uh, kind of, but but not really because I was more into. To hip hop at the time. Later on in my life, I got more into, like, really deeper into other kinds of music, like R and B, pop music, and whatnot. But at the time, it was mainly like just focusing on beats and, you know, like trying to get somebody on the beat. And I wasn't really thinking about songs in general. I was just thinking about making beats at the time. Making beats for your favorite rappers. And now it's a little bit different, but at the time it was. Yeah, definitely. I was just thinking about the beats. Do you remember when that transition happened from thinking about just beats, hip hop, the structure that you knew, and then going into something more 360? Yeah, the the transition of that happened when I just started going out there and meeting different people, meeting different producers, engineers, um, guys that uh, play play keys and different instruments and whatnot. Um, even like meeting 40 for the first time was, you know... Um, we met from it was me, him, Drake, and my boy D. We were doing a song for Divine Brown. It was the first time An we amazing, met. amazing singer. Yeah, amazing singer. And you know, that was really the first time seeing somebody talk to me about like structuring a song and, you know, putting effects and dropping things out. And like Forty was one of the first people I seen that that showed me things like that. And my boy uh D D ten, he's also a producer that did a lot of early uh songs for Drake. Um, but it was just like really getting out there and, and being around different people that, that you know, they, their knowledge is greater than mine. So, you know, just listening to them and uh, taking their insight. Did it ever feel intimidating? No, not really. I was just always, I always had a student mentality. I was just, I just wanted to learn. I knew I didn't know much. Like, so I, I was, I just basically wanted to learn as much as I can. So. And what about transitioning from like being like a, more amateur beat maker to going into a an actual studio. Can you talk about like maybe the first time you went into a studio? Yeah, the first time I went into a real studio was the studio that me and and Drake used to actually work out of. It was I forget the name of it, but that was definitely my first time being in a studio, being around a board, um, seeing people record, and it was really just me in the basement uh, doing beats before but then getting into the studio with with d and and drake and 40 learning the the whole process of how the songs uh, are made that was like game changing for me who who taught you who was in the studio helping you like learn like what every button and every knob meant um a lot of it was uh at the beginning was a guy named ricardo jones who who's he was the guy who owned the studio that me and drake were working out of at the time, and then after later on, it was it was for being around forty, 
meeting Forty and, and seeing all the stuff he was doing in the studio. So, What was that learning curve like? Did it take you a long time? Do you still feel... <laughs> I mean, I'm still learning, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm really now just really digging deep into it, but I'm still learning about, about uh, recording, using Pro Tools and um, different stuff and, and, and like the, the building a song, you know, like uh, there's, I, I don't think I know everything. I know, I know what a good song is and how to make one and what it sounds like, but like every aspect of, of recording, right? I, I can't say I know everything because I don't, you know. Um, we'll get back to your idea of what a good song is and what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, so you start working with Drake in about 2005, 2006, around then? Yeah, around that, like 2005. How involved were you and obviously Forty uh, and you know the other people around? How involved? But as producers, how involved were you in defining the vision that you know we've come to see? Well, I, I was very involved. I think I was one of the first people to start working with Drake. I worked with him on his first mixtape, Room for Improvement. Um, I met him through my my boy D10, who was a producer. He would always talk about him, and he kind of introduced us. And, you know, I was there from the jump and it was just all about understanding him, his vision and what he wanted to do. What was his vision at the time? At the time... How would he communicate that to you? At the time, he was making very soulful music. It was like a lot of soul samples. He just wanted to like flip every single soul sample into a beat and like, he just kind of wanted to, uh, this specific sound and I was helping him out with it. That was like Kanye, early Kanye. Yeah, very, very, it was very a, a Kanye-esque kind of time. And like, that was when Kanye just came out with College Dropout and stuff. So, yeah, it was around that time. And he was just trying to figure it out, you know, and I was trying to figure it out with him. And uh, 40 came in a little bit later than that. Uh, he, like, he came around like the second mixtape comeback season. But that was when um, we started learning more about, you know, how to record and what mics sound right with his voice and you know, presets and whatnot. So you guys were learning all that stuff together. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, who else was there? Maybe set some of the scene, because I think it's really, people, I mean, now, almost a decade later, I think people kind of look back on that time as like a bunch of really interesting people kind of coming together and figuring stuff out. I mean, as you, Drake, Forty, who else was there that was like really kind of maybe low-key, like, Instrumental in in creating OVO as as we know it today. Um, it, it's kind of just the same people, to be honest. You know, it was, it was really me, Forty, Drake, um, Oliver on on like other sides of, other sides of things. Not really music, but you know, like branding side of things. But it was really us, to be honest. I can't say anything else. How much? Um, how much did Toronto radio at the time inform what you were doing? Did it at all? Because we had an urban radio station at the time then, Flow oh, yeah, 93.5. We, we, do, <laughs> we do not have one anymore. No, nah, that's gone. Um, yeah, they showed us a lot of love. Uh, we would just submit the songs, and we gained like, relationships with uh, the guy. Uh, I think the program director's name was Justin Dumont at the time, and you know he really liked our songs, so we had that relationship with him. And then anytime we had new songs to put out, we just sent it straight to him, and he always loved it, and he showed love. He'd give us a lot of play on the radio. we get a lot of play on Canadian radio. It was cool at the time, because, you know, we're just kind of kids. We're like, well, our songs are getting played on the radio. It was kind of a confidence boost, and, you know, gave us that 
confidence to say we could take it a little bit further, you know? So It sounds really special because like now... I think that's like something that people, at least in Toronto, that I know of, really struggle with, like wanting to hear themselves played on the radio and and, and not getting that opportunity. Yeah, well, we don't even have a radio station anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what, they play all old school songs now? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know, know honestly. Um, and, and what other Toronto artists, like, were you hearing on the radio that you were like really, who, who maybe were people that you looked up to? Because, I mean, I think when you look back on some of Drake's earliest music, you can really hear, like, I mean, I think we don't talk about chaos, you know, and, oh, yeah. and how what yeah. chaos did was really influential. Chaos was amazing. He was definitely an artist that was ahead of the curb. He was making just different music, and it was it was just dope. Like, he was just himself. And, and he, he was, was singing. Yeah, and he wasn't afraid to, like, be himself and just sing songs. Like, at the time, it was all rap and kind of hardcore stuff, and he was just... You know, the singing guy with the beard dancing around in his video and whatnot. And he just didn't care. And it was cool. It's cool. He just was himself. And it's kind of encouraging because it's like, you know, Drake came out as an artist and he was just himself. He wasn't really trying to be anything else. He's just telling his story just like Chaos was. So it was an inspiration as well. Cool. Um, so then Best I Ever Had happened. Oh, yeah. What year, what year was that? 2000 I think that might have been 2006 or seven. Do, do you guys, does everyone know it? Should we play it or? We, we can play it. <laughs> that song was great. It was nice revisiting a lot of these songs yeah, preparing for this. Yeah, I haven't heard them for a minute, so. Um, when that happened, how did your day-to-day routine change? Your My- work life, I mean. Well, at the time, my day-to-day routine really didn't change. At that time when that song was out, I was still working a day job. I was working at Winners, uh, and I was just making music. And it's funny because Drake was actually on tour before that with uh, Lil Wayne because he had heard him and just wanted to bring him on tour, and he he wanted to sign him. So, you know, at the time, the mixtape So Far Gone came out. I wasn't too internet savvy, so I I, I didn't know how well the... The mixtape was doing So I ended up taking a trip to Atlanta To go see one of Drake's shows And like kid you not Like when I got off the plane And got into like the cab The song was playing non-stop Every radio station I couldn't believe it Because I thought it was just at home You know like again We're just You know our song came out And we're just It's just local radio And whatnot. But the song was literally being played everywhere And I remember going to the rehearsal with him For his show in Atlanta at 12 at noon, no, uh, it was like 12 or 2, and there was a lineup starting already. Like, I, did, I really didn't know what was going on because I was back home when the whole buzz was happening and, and Drake was kind of blowing up. This is before Twitter. Yeah, this is before Instagram. Twitter, before anything. So I couldn't really tell what was going on, but we ended up going back to the show that night. To uh, Like, the show was like at maybe 10 or something, and it was literally pandemonium outside. And I, I couldn't really, I didn't believe it because... I was like, is this really happening? Like, I, I didn't expect this, you know? We, we came from literally, like, maybe, like, a month prior being in the basement, like, being at his house in his basement, kind of like, man, this shit is hard, man. Like, like are we going to make it? Like, this, I don't know. What's, what's next? What's the next move? Like, and then to, like, fast forward, packed show, Jermaine Dupri is there, Usher, everybody was there, and I was just like, this is, like, surreal and the song that me and him did is literally taking off on the billboard charts i had no idea i didn't know it never seen anything like it so it was 
a really cool surprise and it was an amazing time. So when the success of that song finally did start to make its way back to you, you know, financially, whatever, you know, from a business perspective, how, how did your work life change? Because I imagine, you know, maybe you're just like, you're working a day job, you know? Did you quit your job? Yeah, I, qu- I ended up quitting. <laughs> Thank God. Um, He's still at Winners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still work at Winners, guys. <laughs> Benefits. Um, what's it called? Yeah, so, yeah, I ended up quitting m- my job, obviously. And, and then I, I was just getting a lot of offers from publishing companies and, and people. Other producers were trying to sign me. You know, I, I was getting phone calls and emails from different producers, publishing companies, getting offers for publishing deals and whatnot. And I was like, you know, uh, I, you know, I didn't have any money or anything at the time, so I was like, it's time to, you know, I'm, I'm, I may want to take one of these offers. And I ended up doing a, a publishing deal with Sony. It was, pre- it was a pretty good publishing deal, and and, and it kind of helped me, you know, stabilize myself. And I was able to literally sit back at home and just create and worry about just creating music. So. I think that's really important for a lot of people here um, to to kind of think about like that business side of things. How did you know you were making the right decision? Like who who was helping you figure that stuff out? I, I knew I was making the right decision because I was, I was broke and I needed some money. So it was definitely the right decision. <laughs> and you know- I mean like how did you know it was the right deal? It was or, the right deal because um, you know, I had a great lawyer um, and he would just, inform me of um you know the terms and everything and you know he's like you don't want to be in anything too long and it was you know it was really comfortable for me it was really short it was it was a good amount of money and um you know the opportunities that were contractually promised were were promising so you know I ended up just taking it because for me it was all about being comfortable I just wanted to you know I, this is a dream I'm like I want to just sit and make music so, you know, this is going to help me out a lot. So, you know, we got the deal to a point where it was a good deal and we, we ended up doing it. So. Is there something that maybe looking back on that time when you were getting all these offers, you would, would have done differently? I would have maybe waited because I had a bunch of other songs come out and like, <laughs> it would, I could have got an even better deal, but it doesn't even matter because... You know, it's every everything. I don't regret anything. You know, I, I think it was a. It happened at a good time. Uh, it helped me out a lot, and I was able to just lock in and focus on music. Um, kind of just sticking with that era a little bit more. I mean, you and Forty are kind of the crux of Drake's sound. Uh, how did you, you and Forty develop a working process? Can you talk a little bit about that? And, you know, has it changed over the years? Um, yeah, it cha- it's, it's different time to time. You know, me and Forty, we don't directly work with each other all the time, but, you know, we'll Did. bounce ideas off each other here and there, you know? We're kind of guys that like to just be in our own space, and then if, if we have something, if, you know, if I can do something for him, help him out, on the production side and vice versa, and we, we help each other out. But, you know, we kind of go in our own corners and just do our own thing. Was it always like that? Um, yeah, but then if it's like Drake wants something specific, then we'll, we'll spearhead it together. But, you know, for, for the most part, you know, I have, I have my ideas. Yes, is You know, we, we kind of have two completely different sounds, you know, so it's like sometimes we combine it together or, you know, add on or help each other with, with whatnot. 
How do you think when, you know, you guys do have two completely different sounds and they're in service of, of one artist, how do you, what do you think it is about what you guys do that complements the other? Like, what, it is, what is it about what you do that complements what Forty does? I think it's with both of us, we just bring uh, two different sides out of him musically. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of bring out that, that, uh, that energy out of him. Forty kind of brings that emotion out of him, you know, so it works hand in hand. And at different times, and then we sometimes we just help each other out and and combine it together, and you know, do some do stuff like that. Okay, so we'll we'll listen to some of the energy, and Ooh. then maybe some of the. Well, we'll listen to the energy first, <laughs> but it's not the song energy. It's. <laughs> I thought you were like trying to set it up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was great. That was a good one. When was the last time you listened to that before today? Uh, all these are, yeah, I haven't heard any of these in a while. I haven't heard them in a while. So that, that song is really musically interesting. How did it come together? Um, that song came together. We were just, um, it was really, a lot of it was, was Drake's idea. He really wanted something very triumphant. That was his first single off Thank Me Later. So... You know, he kept um, stressing something triumphant. So I was just trying about trying out a bunch of different things. I ended up working on that with a producer named Nick Brongers, who he does a lot of choir, like symphony, like big, like big. His sound is very big and and, and triumphant. So we ended up working on that together. And after I made that, I, I knew it would be perfect for something that he wanted. And you know, that it was a time when he was on tour, so I wasn't able to really sit in there with him. So I ended up just creating that and sending it over to him, and he, he loved it and ended up sending the song back to me for me to hear it, and I was like, yeah, this is perfect. What was it like working with Nick, uh, who, you know, as you said, kind of works with this orchestral sound and stuff? It's kind of different from all the yeah. other stuff you're doing. Yeah, no, no Nick is great. Uh, he kind of just brought something. I did a lot of tracks with Nick, but working with him kind of just brought something out, like a different sound. But he brought a different element to to my production, and it was it was pretty cool. He had a lot of pretty he had a lot of interesting interesting stuff um, that that he was doing and that we do together. So it was really fun working with Nick, and he's hilarious, like one of the funniest guys ever. So um, I'm, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna skip some years, and I'm gonna play another another song okay. um, that you did. Thank you. Uh, so that's Pound Cake. Uh, yeah. Featuring Jay Z. Yeah, that was that was big. That was a, that was one of my favorite tracks I ever made. I love it because it feels like winter time to me. Mm, I think it was made in the winter too. Sounds like it. Yeah, um, that one came about after I heard. Um, I had heard like Drake was on tour again, so I wasn't around him a lot. But he ended up coming back home, and I sat down with him, and he played me like majority of. Uh, Majority of nothing was the same. The album, and at the time, I I just felt like it was missing that kind of moment on the album. What? So, how would you describe that moment? Like it was just like something that like he needed to get something off his chest and just rap. You know, there, he he needed to rap on like a song like he did on that. So, you know, I kind of went back in my corner at home, and um, one of my boys had came through and played. That's actually an Ellie Golding sample from, I forget the name of the song, but um, one of my guys had played me that 
sample and I I was like this is so dope we ended up flipping it into the beat and yeah, the rest is history you just I just brought it back to Drake and he was like this is exactly what I need so. I wanted to play those two songs uh over was 2010 I believe yeah. and that was 2015 yep. so skipping about five years in there but I think both of those are are interesting because they're uh you know one's one's really like loud and brash and the other one's like more 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 low key and yeah. I think it's it's an example of how you've kind of grown to incorporate like more subtlety like dynamics yep. that kind of thing um can you talk about can you talk about that yeah um it's just growth as a producer and you know that that track doesn't have really much to it and it's just me figuring out you know sometimes less is more you know sometimes you, you, there's there's a time for to get loud and you know have big bright stuff going on but for the moment and what was going on with him at the time it was kind of like Drake described like you know he's talking about everything that's going on with him and I was like you need one of these these moments so you know it's kind of just understanding what what was going on with him and and basically turning it into kind of like a canvas for him you know so to to paint his picture on when you're in a groove of something sounding really good like making uh yeah, making a bunch of songs that sound... I'm kind of thinking about like Over, Forever, like these these songs that kind of have a similar energy and they're all sounding really good. How do you break out of that pattern? Um, I don't know, you know. To, to be honest, a lot of the time when I make music, it's almost like, like just brain farts. It's just like ideas, you know? And it's just like, this is my idea for the day. This is how I feel today. This is how I feel today. Maybe, you know, it'll resonate with this person or that person or whoever, but... A lot of the time, it's just random stuff. I'll, I'll just be making some making music, and who knows what's going to come out, you know? And But sometimes I'll do something very specific, like pound cake. But majority of the time, it's just, you know, just literally ideas that just pop out of my brain. Do you feel like there's been a moment in your career so far when you were like, okay, like, I'm really done with this thing, whatever it is, maybe it's software maybe it's a certain sound or an idea do you feel like you've you've had like a break from certain things and and wanted to move on to something else um i i wouldn't say that because um with my production it's really all over the place like i i to be honest you can go through that that list of songs and it's like there's always like different sounds different you know cadences different energies to everything that i do and you know i, I just try to try to keep it moving and try to keep it interesting you know, instead of like just sticking to one sound, you know, I, I kind of treat it like art where people have like one of ones, two of twos, three of threes, you know. So I'll, I'll get into moods like that. I'll, I'll make one specific type of thing and then switch to the other thing. And, you know, I just always try to keep it moving and then try to keep it interesting. Um, let's play something else. Cause you got you got so many songs. Way too much songs. <laughs> I couldn't decide actually, so I'm like, <laughs> let's just play all of them. Thank you. Jay Z song, even though well, we just heard Rick Ross um, from mm -hmm. Magna Carta, Holy Grail. I, I wanted to play the song actually after playing Pancake and after playing what was the song I played before that I forgot Over because yep. I actually think it marries the energy of both of those songs. It's yep. like subtle, but it also has like a really it's aggressive too. Yep. Um, can you talk about making that song? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I ended up uh, that song was actually a, a Rick Ross song prior, and I think he was in a session with Jay Z and he 
he ended up calling me and telling me about it. So he was in a session with Jay Z and he played that song. And he's Jay Z's like, yo, I, I need this. Like, I need to get on this. I need to have this song. So this was, was before Pound Cake too. Yeah, this was this was before Pound Cake. Yeah. So what did it feel like to have someone be like, uh, Jay Z heard my song? Man, it was crazy because um, it was like DJ Khaled and Rick Ross calling me on the phone. And you can imagine how that sounds. Like, it's like, like they're, they're calling me and telling me the whole story of how it went down. And they're like really excited because I think I, I'm not sure uh, if that was Rick Ross's first song with Jay-Z. You know? I don't think so. But they're just really excited about it. And it, it, was, it was a cool beat. You know, I, I, I made that beat with another producer named Vinyls, a producer I work closely with. And it's crazy um, that little melody idea he had. He's gonna he's gonna delete it, and then he, he's played it for me. And he's like, "Yo, I was gonna delete this, but I'm like, whoa, what are you doing, bro?" Like, and I, I, we, me and him ended up making like the whole beat to it, and we put the the pimp C sample at the beginning of it and everything. And you know, he almost deleted that. It's crazy. So. What when you when when you heard it and he was like, "I'm gonna delete this," why did you say don't delete it? What was it about it that caught your ear? It was it was dope. Like it was that little melody line right there. That's like I'm like you could turn this into something crazy, which is what you know I did. I ended up building the whole beat around that that one melody line. So sometimes that's like I'll hear like one thing and I'll, I'll just take it and turn it into something else. But that's like the epitome of one man's trash is another man's treasure. Exactly. That was I couldn't believe he was gonna delete that. I was like that's really good. So at at this point, I mean now, not at the point of the song, but at this point you've been in the studio. Well, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you haven't been in the studio with all these people, but you know, you've done stuff for Kanye West, been in the studio with Dr. Dre. Yep. Um, yep. And then you've also worked with a lot of young and hungry emerging producers. Um, yep. What do you think, what do you think is something that you've observed that, that, that is the defining characteristic of a successful producer? Um... The defining characteristic, I would say, is just being open-minded and being open to, to different ideas, being open to working with other people, just being open in general. You know, uh, I, I never turned down any opportunity or any idea to, to, like, to work with somebody or do anything. It's just I, I always have an open mind, and, you know, I feel like that's what being a successful producer is, you know, Keeping uh, your mind open and trying to push the envelope with everything that you do. Who's like the wildest, most random session you've ever been with that you didn't expect? Maybe wildest session, wildest session. There's been a few. Like, how open-minded are you? Is what I'm trying to ask. Pretty open-minded, you know. Some there's there's some people that do some pretty off-the-wall stuff in the studio, you know. So, um, you know, I, I'm not an off-the-wall person myself but you know i'll respect people's creativity and you know if that's what you need to do to get creative you you do that i'm gonna do me but we'll we'll mix it up together and see what we can see what we can do with it you know? what's something you've observed someone who you admire maybe not even someone you admire but just someone you've worked with what's something that you've seen them do that you're like oh i want to take that because i think it'll actually make me more efficient or more i don't know like a particular technique or i don't know a, a tool well, I could uh, say I've I've been in the studio with Timberland a few times, and what I found that's really dope about working with him is he literally like records everything, and even if like 
he has something recording in the studio at all times. And even if he has like an idea to like, like literally drum something on like a table, he'll like record it and put it into his music or like jingle keys or something, you know, to like, he, he really is insane with it. Like he just, any, like anything, he'll just put it into his music. So I, that was the first time working with him and I never seen anything like that. So I found that dope. And you know, he, he would take his own voice and, put an effect on it and make his own voice sound like a guitar or some really different stuff, you know? So that was, that was pretty cool. That, that was something that I seen that, that was really different and I, I took with me. You know, you can make something from literally anything. So, I mean, earlier I, I mentioned that, that last year was, was a big year for you. You've been professionally producing for pretty much over a decade now. Um, yep. But that's me saying last year was a big year for you. I mean, Looking back on your career, you know when did when did things actually start to feel big league for you? Um, it, it always like when I, once I started doing stuff, it, it always felt big league. And you know, it's it's different every time. There's never going to be a time when you're always at a peak. You know, I feel like with music, it's like all, for me, it's just spikes. You know, that, like in creativity. You know, sometimes I'll I'll be on fire with it and sometimes I'll just be chilling you know so you know last year was a huge year for me but I've had big years prior to that I'd say last year professionally is probably my biggest year I've I've done my biggest songs I've ever done but you know it's 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 all a spike it's it's up and downs um I feel like for a lot of people um those slumps can be really depressing for some people maybe not for all um how do you how do you use your time wisely I use my time wisely by, you know, doing other things in, in the downtime. You know, everybody, realistically, everybody has downtime. Everybody's not always on point, always. And, you know, sometimes people, they don't realize that and they will get down about it, but it's nothing to get down about. You know, if you're uninspired, just, it just means you need to go do something else, you know? Go, go, for, go on a trip, go watch a movie, go do something you never did before. You know, it's just your mind telling you that you, you just need to do something different, so... Um, take a break yeah exactly take a break if, if needs be or you know figure, figure something out but you know you, you don't always need to be busting your busting your brain in the studio always and how have your goalposts changed like as you kind of check things I mean maybe maybe they weren't on your list maybe <laughs> producing work with Rihanna wasn't on your list but as you achieve things you know I mean what, what do you what do you want to achieve next uh, what I want to achieve next is, uh, like, right last week, I ended up signing my first uh, label imprint deal with Universal. So I, I'm basically a owner of a record label now. And, you know, my, my next goal is to, you know, have a successful record label, have, have an artist from my, like, my own artist that I can, you know, um, bring to the level of success as other artists and just put out good music. You know, help people out as well. You know, sign Canadian artists, Canadian producers, people from my country, even people not from my country as well. Just, you know, that's 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 my next goal is to reach reach that level of success. Is like Dr. Dre or somebody like uh, Timberland, like Pharrell, somebody like that. So those are guys that I look up to, and that's I feel like that's my next goal that I want to that I'm 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 not I don't want to I'm going to. I'm gonna end up doing it. Does this label have a name? 
Um, yes, it does have a name. My label is is One Music Records, and yeah, that's the name. <laughs> I thought I had something else to say after that, but I didn't. I, I just want to. I was going to move on to something else, but why? Why is it? I mean, we're we're all. Canadian in here, I think, mm-hmm. unless someone has another citizenship. Um, why? Oh, we do have a, a guest from Iran. Yes, now I remember. Um, hey. <laughs> uh, why is it important for you to sign Canadian artists? Why is that something you want to make a, a point of, of One Records? Because um, I feel like a lot of Canadian artists are going to America to, to do deals. And really and truly, you don't really have to, you know, there's, there's so much, there's a budding infrastructure up here and my goal is to build it from my country, you know, like, I love America, no disrespect or anything, but I also love Canada, Canada's done a lot for me, it's a great country and I want to I wanna do big things for my country rather than go across the border and, and you know, help their infrastructure, but although they, they need some help, but... Um, yeah, I ended up doing the, the deal within Canada as well. But, you know, it's just really to prove a point that, you know, you, you don't really have to go anywhere. You know, we could do it from right here. In this time and age, literally, we can do it from here. You know, you don't need, you don't need like, the, the American labels. We don't need, like, certain things. We have streaming. We have the Internet. Like, it can all be done from here. And I, I'm, it's kind of like a point to prove, really, you know? I think staying in Whitby is also helping prove the point, too. Huge point. <laughs> point proven. <laughs> okay, so we've been alluding to last year, so let's, let's go revisit some things that happened last year. Sick. That was Controller by Drake. Um, so first question, is the original version with PopCon ever going to be officially released? Man, I, <laughs> I wanted it. It's supposed to be a remix, but I don't know what happened. But I think it leaked and kind of ruined everything, but it's whatever. I, I wanted that to happen, but... Well, it exists sure. in our hearts and memories, so... Yeah, it does. Um, so <laughs> uh, I played both of those songs back to back because I think, you know... Last year was really interesting. I think in pop music, uh, mainstream audiences were really like, what's going on? What's this dance hall thing that's happening? Um, you you produced both of those tracks, both by different artists. I mean, Drake was featured on work, but what was going on behind the scenes? Um, did like everyone go to Jamaica at the same time? Like why, <laughs> why, can you maybe break down a little bit of why there was this shift towards dance hall in pop music maybe? I know you're, you produced both of those tracks, yeah. but but... Well, behind the scenes, um, it was just, you know, it was kind of like a conversation. Like, I was just like, I miss dancehall music. I miss what it used to do, you know, how it used to make girls dance in the club and whatnot. Like, nobody dances anymore. It's like, you you hear trap music, but, you know, everybody just does that thing with their arm. I don't know what they call that. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But it's like, I miss miss dancing, you know? People used to dance when when they played, like, dancehall music. Just the whole energy of everything, so... It's kind of crazy. I I just ended up just making some dancehall tracks. I kind of out of boredom, not really boredom, but it's just like I just want to do something different, you know. I can't remember um, when those singles were released. Maybe around the same time, but which one came first in terms of writing those songs? Um, I, I believe work came first. Work came first, um, and 
can, they were kind of made around the same time, but work was released first. The track was made first, and then afterwards, um, I was still in that zone, and I ended up doing control and getting it over to Drake, and he he did his thing on that as well. How did you, when you're thinking about the fact that you miss dance hall, how did you kind of dig deeper into that inspiration, like for yourself? Like, what what were you? Did you go back to Jamaica? You know, were you talking to people? Were you listening to stuff? What were you doing to inspire yourself? I was just listening to a lot of dance hall music at that time. Like, I was literally going on SoundCloud. And typing in ninety early nineties dance hall, eighties dance hall, early two thousand, and I was literally just listening to it all day, like just Sean Paul on the playlist, like the whole time, and just like you know, just getting in, in that in that zone in that creative space, and a, a lot of that kind of inspired um, a lot of the production I was doing at that time. You know, I, I ended up doing those two. I have a lot more songs too as well with that same vibe and that same energy, but. At that time, I was really fiending to hear something different. I was like, music is, is going in this similar direction, and I want to do something a little bit outside the box, you know? So I just ended up doing, like, a bunch of, like, production pro- did it, beats that were similar at that time. Did it feel different for you? Because they, they have a much different energy from what we're used to hearing from you. Yeah, it, it was fun. It, I was having, like, a lot of fun. At the time, I was kind of uninspired, and I was like, man, maybe I need to do something different. So I was having fun when I was, I was making those, those records because it was just different. It was a different feel, different bounce, and different energy. And I was just trying to bring something creative to the table. And how did you know that work was going to be a hit? Or did you know? Oh, yeah. Our first <laughs> listen, I was like, yeah, this is like annoyingly catchy. So I'm like, this is... <laughs> There's no way this is not going to be like a hit record as soon as I heard it. So, um, Same with Controller. Like, I just knew from the jump both of them were, were hit records. So. Um, we, should t- we should, I mean, I think there's something interesting to talk about in terms of the sample that was used for work. Um, I'm going to play, I'm gonna play the, the sample and then we can talk about that. Uh, <laughs> do you know who produced that rhythm? Um, it was a guy named Richie Stevens, not Richie Stevens, what is his name? Yeah, Richie Stevens, I believe. Um, that's from 1998, I believe. Can you break down what a rhythm is for people who might not know? Well, basically in Jamaica, the way how music works in Jamaica, they have, um, if you guys don't know already, they have a, a rhythm, which is like a beat and every artist will just go on the same beat and then have different songs on the same beat and it's like literally if you play it at a party it's like that same beat for like the next 12 minutes but it's all but it's all different songs and it's it's a great feeling because you know it's 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 a great beat so it's like you just get like different variations and different songs different moments on it and that was actually growing up was one of my favorite favorite rhythms there's a bunch of songs on that rhythm but I just remember my dad always playing that and you know, I wanted to, that little melody line in there, that I wanted to make something with that. So while making the work beat, I, I incorporated that in it and it just worked out perfectly. So no pun intended. Yeah, the rhythms are really interesting because you, <laughs> oh, work. <laughs> that was good, right? <laughs> Took me a minute. It's interesting because you get to hear artists 
you know, some some people come like really aggressive over it. Some people come like hyper melodic. Some people slow things down. Yep. Um, was there a particular artist who was on sail, the Sail Away Rhythm um, that that? Because when I played it, you were like, "Oh, you're just playing the instrumental." Yeah, yeah. So d- was there a track? Uh, honestly, like all of the tracks on that rhythm were dope. I, I, there's one with like Beanie Man that was that was really dope. Then there's one with the guy uh, Richie Stevens, I think and he was singing over it. There's like a, maybe there's like eight songs on it, but the, I just remember all of them being really dope, and all they all sound different. Like they're all just different moments. Like there's ones straight singing, rapping on it. It was cool. It was a, it was a dope rhythm. Yeah. So you more recently started in, like writing. Oh uh, yeah. Um, can you talk about that? Um, yeah, I, it's something I'm really just getting into, but, um, uh, it's been going well so far. Like I've, I wrote on, um, uh, I wrote, I co-wrote the chorus for, uh, Black of the Berry by, by Kendrick Lamar. And, um, yeah, that, 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 that and, a, a hook for a Meek Mill album way before that whole beef, <laughs> you know? So, uh, I'm kind of two for two with it. <laughs> but it's something I'm, I'm really new to writing You know I'm more on the melodic side of things Yeah But I'm, I'm really just getting into it now Can You want to talk a little bit About the Black or the Berry thing Because you wrote the hook for that And, and is, that's how Assassin got placed on that track Yeah basically. Assassin is a, a, a dancehall yeah. artist Yeah Assassin is a dancehall artist That was all Kendrick's idea really To get Assassin on it Okay But um, we had written a hook um, me and a, a writer named Esquerdo had written a hook on it and you know Kendrick was vibing with the hook a lot but he said he wanted like a reggae guy to do it so we ended up getting Assassin and he kind of took our words and made it his own basically you know so it was cool it was a cool moment because he just came out of nowhere like nobody was expecting that so I think we should just listen to it because it sounds really cool and yeah. it sounds good in here. So we should probably just listen to it. Yeah. Do you know when Assassin's part comes in on the track? Yeah, it's in the chorus. It's, it's like it comes in like um, I don't know the time exactly, but skip ahead a like little. One minute into it or something. So you were just telling me that it sounded very different from what we just heard. So what mm-hmm. did it sound like? Well, we had ended up writing a hook on like I had made that beat and. We just like the beat a lot, and we're just talking about topics, like just different topics. And the topic was just, you know, like getting mistreated, being being black. So we're like, why don't we just try like a hook on that? Maybe like Kanye would like it or something. Because I remember he made that song "New Slaves" at the time. So we ended up writing the hook. Uh, I forgot how the lyrics go, but it, it's similar to that. Like, um, yeah, I'm not gonna even try to like. Rap it for you because I don't remember, and I'll probably sound ridiculous. But were you thinking about it as like to be delivered in patois, or like were you? No, it it was really just delivered straightforward, and it was it was really on some like, hmm, how can I? You know, you you hear what Kendrick's talking about. He's just you know he's kind of describing like you know the inequalities of you know the struggle of sometimes of being black, you know. So we were kind of we made a hook like that. I I wish I could just find it and pull it up for you, but. Somewhere in my email, but yeah, we were just talking about that on the hook, and he he ended up hearing it, and he's like, "That that's really dope." Like, I think he wanted to do a song like that, anyways, and it kind of brought it, kind of inspired him a little bit. But it was really Kendrick's idea to to get. Uh, he wanted to hear how it would sound with a, a reggae artist over it. So, 
I was I was going to ask if writing has helped you kind of bring more of your the Jamaican influence into music, but I feel like you just answered that it hasn't necessarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we. I, I definitely I'm not going to be doing any patois and any, any <laughs> songs anytime soon. So, but how is writing and thinking about writing help change the way that you produce? Um, Do you think about music differently? Um, so, uh, sometimes you know, I, it, it's made me. Um, make a lot of my productions a little bit more simple because it's easier to write to stuff when there's not that much going on, you know? So it's really made me learn to, you know, keep the canvas as as plain as it can be. Um, I want to play one more song that kind of fits into this this theme a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this also came out last year. Mm. Thank you. That was a really beautiful song, actually. Uh, oh, yeah, that was great. Um, by Party Next Door, called mm-hmm. Only You. And you guys w- worked on that together. Yeah, we worked on that together. That was, um, like, like I was saying, around the same time when we were having that discussion of, you know, Party, he's Jamaican, too. He actually wrote uh, work for, for Rihanna as well. The so, reference track is amazing. Oh, yeah, it's really good. So at the time, you know, he, he understood what I was talking about, you know, and I kind of had that discussion with him, too. I was just like... That's what I miss, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, like I miss that too, man." Like, he's a Jama- he's Jamaican as well, and he, he yeah. we just missed like making that kind of music, hearing that kind of music. So we we're just just making it, just having fun making it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you about. It must have been nice to be in the studio with him making that music because you don't have to explain, you know, kind oh, yeah, of what no, you're talking about. Not at all. He he knew exactly what to do with that. Exactly. All I had to do is just I just made it and. Played it for him, and he had a song in like literally an hour. Yeah, he's great. Um, so over the years, you know, I feel like I've 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 asked a lot of West Indian artists this this question, but I'm curious as to what you what you have to say about it. I mean, what do you think it is about how dance hall is structured um, that you know allows it to kind of resonate with with global or mainstream audience? Um. I just think it's it's the it's the rhythm really and the cadences, you know. A lot of the time, if you listen to a lot of like dancehall, a lot of reggae, it's it's really, you know, not much to it. It's really just the pocket that make it's the groove that really makes people want to want to dance and makes people feel a certain way. So that's really what it is. And I just think it's the time people just want to dance. You know, people want to go and hear some fun music. They want to dance and you know party and have a good time and feel good. Um. So we've talked about your relationship with Drake and, and Forty a bit, um, but there are other members of this extended family. I mean, outside of outside of OVO, um, or maybe I mean, you know, I'm talking about Frank Dukes, Vinyls, yep. uh, Matthew Burnett, and Jordan Evans, yep. who are yep. working with Daniel Caesar right now. Yep. Um, what what brings you guys together creatively? Creatively, um, um, Matthew Burnett and Jordan Evans, they actually. Went to my high school um, when I was the year, my last year in high school was when I, I met Matt and Jordan. They were ninth grade. I was on my way out. Um, I actually knew Jordan's. I was good friends with Jordan's sister. Like we were in the same grade, so we were, we were close friends. And she'd always tell me like, "Yo, Jordan's really interested in music. He wants to like learn from you." And I was like, "For sure, you know, just send him over." And he brought over Matt, and I kind of mentored those guys from real early. I ended up. Um, signing them, they're the first producers I ever signed, and we worked for years. 
And we made incredible songs together. We did Not Afraid for Eminem. We, um, me and Matthew did uh, Up All Night for Drake. We, we have so much songs together. Those guys are great, man. Very, very, very skilled music people. And um, Jordan has a great ear for music. Matt is very skilled on the, on the keys and other instruments and whatnot. And we worked together for years. We still work together. Um, you know, now they're off doing their thing with, with, with Daniel Caesar, and it's, it's incredible. You know, I always, I always appreciated their, their ear for music and, and um, their ideas and everything they did. And, and, you know, and Frank Dukes as well. He's, he's another amazing guy that I, I, work, I worked with from, from years ago. Years ago, I knew Frank. Uh, Frank was actually the first Drake song I've ever heard ever was produced by Frank Dukes. So I've known Frank for like a really long time, and we finally got a chance to sit and, and work together on music and make a bunch of incredible songs as well together. It's cool because, you know, you, you mentored Matt and Jordan. Um, you've known Frank for a long time. Now you guys all really have, you have your, your own things going on. I mean, as professionals, like how, how do you exchange information or what is it like working together now that you're not, maybe mentoring people or now that it's not so loose um it's still the same you know those guys are just friends like when it all comes down to it you know frank matt jordan the finals seven whoever whoever it is that i work with so they're all at the end of the day before music and everything they're they're my friends you know so working with them is just like just hanging out and having fun you know and then we all just share our ideas and and make something incredible out of it so it's still the same. It's like nothing changed. We're all great friends still. So that's cool. If that's reassuring that when things take off, you can still just oh, like yeah. hang out and jam. Of course, yeah. Because we're all doing it together. You know, like you know, we we worked on stuff together that works. And you know, Matt and Jordan, they're doing their own thing. Daniel Caesar, Frank has a million things going on. You know, and it's just, we're all a family. We're all a unit. You know, we all help each other out. We all have, when it needs to be. You know, like if Matt. Jordan never need anything. I'm always here for them. Frank needs anything and vice versa. And anybody who I work with, you know, it's all a friendship. It's all a small little community that we got going on, you know, so. I'm going to play a song that you and Frank did together. I mean, you've done a bunch. Oh, yeah, a whole lot. Maybe, maybe you can decide which one. No, you pick. Okay, well, <laughs> we all know I'm just going to press play on Rihanna, so. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I, like, I like that one a lot in particular. <laughs> Um, so, okay, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I was reading about the song and I saw there's a credit for Chester Hansen of Bad, Bad, Not Good on there. You produced this with Frank, so I'm wondering, is that because there's a Kingsway music library sample on there? or? Um, I believe so. You know what? I'm not 100% sure. I know uh, they were definitely involved. They do a lot of work with Frank. Yeah. But, um, it was something that uh, Frank had sent over. I know he does a lot of work with, with Bad, Bad, Not Good. And and my guy Tommy, Tommy, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, yeah, that was one. Um, he had uh, passed that along, and I, I I just whipped up a track out of it. Um, I, I can you explain what Kingsway Music Library is for for everyone here? Kingsway Music Library. That was um, uh, Frank Dukes, uh, and I believe Frank Dukes M and uh, Bad Bad Not Good, and it was just a library of samples that Frank put out online um, for people, for producers to literally sample their samples. And there's a few in there that I, I ended up using that, that made it on a lot of um, records. 
Um, how important is a service like that or a product like that to something that you do? It's very important because sometimes you like all it, all, it, all it takes is just a small idea to spark something, you know, like it, it could be from anything, it could be from anyone, you know, so that a lot of the time is like I was really like low on inspiration and whatnot and I would get some stuff from Frank and I'd be like, yeah, this is this is dope. I can build something from this. So I think it's very important. And it's very important because, you know, it's, it sounds like a sample, but it's not really a sample. And, you know, sampling is very, very serious business. When you when you sample somebody's record, you can get in all sorts of trouble and all sorts of uh, situations from that. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to work. Let's hear one of those small ideas, just just for context. <laughs> Drake yep. zero to a hundred, yep. uh, and um, this is where it came from. So that that was a Kingsway Music Library mm-hmm. uh, piece of piece of music. Um, I mean, I think it's really cool that Kingsway exists because it also allows, like, you know, young people, especially the young people who Frank's working with, Tommy, Chester, all those guys, to get these credits on on these big records. Oh, Not that like. I mean, I think that it's a really sustainable way of, of 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 mentoring people. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely is, um, and it's just amazing, you know, the, what they do, what Tommy, what Frank, um, what they do together is just phenomenal, and you know, we just make great music out of it. So, how important is it for you to have younger producers in the studio with I, you? I think it's very important. Uh, like, I don't like to. You know, there's times when I'll be in the studio by myself and I'll, I'll work on music by myself, but it's, it's so boring sometimes, you know? Like, I, I love to bounce ideas off of people and just vibe in the studio with other people and, and, and collaborate. I love collaborating. You know, some of, my, some of my favorite producers collaborated with a lot of different producers and younger, fresh fresh producers, you, you know what I'm saying, with, with new ideas. Um, I think it's very important, you know, helping people out, mentoring, and then also staying in touch with with music, you know. It can get ahead of you sometimes. How do you think that, I mean, when you're, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, uh, what are younger producers doing differently now that kind of, like, blows your mind? Uh, it's just, uh, they're really, really creative and, and moving into all sorts of different directions. And it's just nice to just hear just fresh music from from guys that are really, you know, just trying to get out there and come with new ideas and whatnot, you know, so. Um, so I think people from here would, would kind of benefit from learning how to advocate for yourself when you're a more emerging artist, yeah. maybe working with bigger artists. Um, how do you, I mean... You, you're you're not obviously not an emerging artist, but you work with people. I mean, you work with like a Kanye, right? Mm-hmm. Who who has his ideas about his music. Yep. So how do you advocate for yourself in that scenario? Um, and your ideas. Well, well, my ideas, I I, you know, at this point, it's like there's not not much like advocation, you know. So it's you know just get in there and 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 figure it out with with somebody like Kanye. It's like you know what he's going to do. He's more like a composer at this point now. You know, he he will take something from a, one producer and another producer and, like, mix it all together and, 
basically um, compose something from a bunch of different things. So, you know, I know that's how Kanye works. And, you know, it's just like, that's how he works. And that's how he always works. So you kind of have to respect the creativity at that point. Is there any specific thing that you might say? For, maybe, obviously, not working with someone like a Kanye, but for a young producer kind of going into the studio with someone who maybe has a little more power than them, you know, how can they be like, well, you know, this is kind of how I feel about it as well? Uh, it's all about just getting it to that place where you can both agree on, on, on its art, you know? So it's all about getting it to that place where, where it's, just, it's just good, but... I mean, there's always going to be somebody bigger than somebody, you know what I'm saying? There's always going to be somebody bigger than Kanye, bigger than you. So it's all about just being humble and just, you know, taking in the moment. For me, working with Kanye is just like, hey, man, shit, you got an idea? You do what you do because you're Kanye West. You've been successfully doing You've put out, like, what, five classic albums? Hey, the, the, you're in the driver's seat, you know what I'm saying? I'm here for what I do, and let's make this work. You know, I'm not going to try and overpower him. He wasn't an overbearing and overpowering person working with him. So, you know, sometimes you got to just humble yourself and just, you know, just do what you got to do, you know, and figure it out. And, you know, we ended up making a song on, on Life with Pablo, and it was kind of like that situation. And, you know, I'm not mad at it. I'm like, we made a great song. What what situation do you mean? No, like working with um, Kanye, like, basically, we I did a song on Kanye's last album called Real Friends. And you know the 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 beat was basically taken from a bunch of beats, which was like a beat that Frank and, and I had done, and Kanye kind of ripped the sample and then took uh some drums from havoc and the bass line from my beat and mashed it all together. but that's his creative genius that's Kanye being the the composer that he is, you know he didn't necessarily craft the beat himself but he it was his idea to take these elements from all these different beats and, and mash it together to make that beat and it's like you know some people would be mad at that like oh man you, you just took my bass line bro like what the fuck you know like but I'm like who cares man we made a great song like that's all it's about to me like at the end of the day like are we making a great song or not and you're Kanye West you know what you're doing I know what I'm doing I know what I bring to the table and let's just make it happen you know, so that's really just it. So, like, some people would literally get mad at that. Like, I, I really and truly don't care. You know, it's, it's the way he does things. So I got to respect it, you know? Okay, let's let's break. That was a lot of sitting. Thank mm -hmm. you again oh, no problem. Uh, for Thank taking you, the time. Appreciate you. Thank you. Boy Wanda. Hey, this is Todd Burns again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Uh, before you go, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Academy. The Red Bull Music Academy is a world traveling series of music workshops and festivals. Almost every year since 1998, we've done the main Academy event in one city. The lecture you just heard, for instance, was from an event in Montreal. But we do events uh, around the world throughout the year. And among other things, we've got an online radio station and an online magazine. In short, it's a lot of stuff, uh, but it's all pretty cool, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, if you want to find out more for yourself, you can check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. <laughs>